Jesus said, ask and it shall be given to you, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be opened to you. And if we believe that, if we believe that when we seek God, we find him, when we seek God with humility in our heart, with an open mind, that we'll find the truth, that gives us a lot of hope and it puts us on a similar journey to what those wise men were on during the first Christmas season all those years ago. Uh, that when they put two and two together, they saw the prophecies that had been handed down to them, they saw the special sign in the sky, they recognized that a Messiah had been born, and they set, uh, they, they set out on an adventure, a dangerous one at that, across the map of the Middle East, as it were, um, to get from probably Babylon or Persia all the way over to Jerusalem, uh, we see in their heart an openness, a faith um, to go out and look for the truth, to look for the King. And, uh, and so our prayer, our hope is that this Christmas season you would be on a similar journey, that together we would honestly in our hearts seek after God and that we would find Him. All right, so to set the stage for that, I'd like you to turn in the Bible to Matthew chapter 2. Uh, each Sunday during this series, we're looking at the same story, but pulling out a different nugget from it uh, to think about what it was like to be one of those wise men that would travel to find Jesus, the newborn Messiah, and also how that does parallel our own spiritual journey and the road that all of us have to take as we start wherever we are right now and make our way toward Jesus. Okay, so Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is this newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law, and he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. When you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Okay, and we, we know, as we re keep reading in Matthew 2, Herod was a terrible king, uh, and his motives in even being interested in where the Messiah would be born were all evil motives. Um, so as we think about these wise men, we think about what they were up against, what they were attempting. We learned this last week, that in context, they were... They were known as magi. That's how they might have been called in the ancient world and probably from Persia or Babylon. If you're interested in why we would say that that's the case, you can listen to last week's message on our website. 
Um, but assuming you're with me on that, and we're saying, all right, we have recognized for these wise men to set out on a long journey that would have taken months, even maybe more than a year to complete, they had to have a lot of faith in what they were walking toward. They also had to have some goals in mind for this journey because this would have been expensive, it would have been risky, it would have taken a long time. Say, well, there's three basic goals that these wise men would have needed to have. One, they have to follow the right star. There's lots of stars out there. There's lots of prophecies. There's lots of things people claim are signs. And so if you happen to follow the wrong one, you could be out of luck at the end of this huge journey, right? Goal two, once you get there, you have to find the right king. And then goal three that we'll talk about on Christmas Eve is you have to present the right gift when you, when you come into the presence of the king. Like, what, are, what should your attitude be? How, how should you approach him? How do you pay proper homage to someone who is a king far beyond anything that this world would afford. Okay, so last week we talked about following the right star and what kind of the orientation of these wise men, looking at the ancient prophecies of who the Messiah would be and where he would be born, and then really setting aside probably a lot of their own cultural norms and stepping out of their comfort zone across great distance, going to another culture uh, that took a lot of faith. They were definitely seeking something that they thought was really valuable. Okay, so a question that we asked last week, and one we could keep pondering as we move toward Christmas here this month, is what are you seeking, and what are you hoping to find? Uh, someone said, we, we seek the things we love. It's kind of interesting to think about that, that when your heart seeks, when you're really looking for something, and maybe you're trying various methods to try to get to the thing you're looking for, it's, the, it's because you, you care about that, right? So these wise men were willing to seek this newborn king of the Jews. This wasn't like on a whim, let's go check it out. Uh, this was a life-changing journey. Second goal that we identified is to find the right king. And that's what we want to talk about today, is how do we know that we're following the right king. When we say that we're putting our faith in Jesus, when we say that he's the one that we're going to bow down and worship in the end, like how, how do we know that that's the right road to be on? So to start answering that question, I think it's interesting to look back at our text and notice the responses of different characters who come into this story. So you have these faith-filled, adventurous wise men. Okay, but then we have other characters, right? We start off in verse 3, we have King Herod. What was his attitude toward this whole thing happening? He hears there might be another king, and what is he? He's deeply disturbed because he was the king of Israel at that time. And even though he was, you know, wicked and terrible, uh, he still, he wanted to cling to power. Maybe that's why he wanted to cling to power. And, uh, you know, he was known for his ruthlessness. There are multiple people, by the way, in the New Testament narrative named Herod, multiple leaders. So it's a little bit confusing which one was which. But this particular Herod, um, he was known for having killed a few of his own family members because he thought that they were a threat to his power. Okay, so that's the kind of guy we're dealing with. We find out later in Matthew 2 that he was so worried about this king of the Jews being born that when he figured out when he was born and where the prophecies led to, he actually had his soldiers go and slaughter all the children of that region just to try to wipe out whoever the newborn king might be. Okay, so we're talking about a very, very evil king. He was deeply disturbed because the, the, the idea that there would be another king besides him is a huge threat to him. 
Okay, so we, I think we learned this lesson from Herod in this story. If you think that you ought to be in charge, you'll never find the right king. You think when people walk forward toward God, if they have their own idea about how everything is supposed to be, they're not really seeking in an honest way. They're looking for what they want to find, right? Um, and so if, if you would say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be the decision maker in my life. I'm going to determine my own destiny, and I'm going to follow my own rules. Well, probably you won't find the truth about God because you're not, you're not actually honestly searching for him. You're looking for something that reinforces your own narrative. So that's all Herod wanted. Okay, now notice that it wasn't just Herod that was deeply disturbed. What's the rest of verse 3 said, say? Everyone in, in Jerusalem, they were all disturbed too. But I think their motives were different, right? Because there was only one king in Jerusalem, that was Herod. So everybody else around Herod knows that Herod is a powder keg of anger and retribution. So they don't want Herod to be upset, right? They want to keep the status quo, keep the temperature down. But then they've got bigger problems out there. Because remember, Israel at this time was a part of the Roman Empire, controlled by the Caesar in Rome. And what did the Roman Empire do with provinces that wanted to run their own affairs? Well, they'd send legions of centurions or whatever in there, and they would, they would quell the rebellion. And already, this part of the Roman Empire was known for being rebellious. So you could imagine some of the old-timers uh, hearing like newborn king, prophecy, people coming in from the outside wanting to worship a new king, and they're going, oh, no, 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 none of this. Everybody quiet down, don't say anything, this is all a bunch of malarkey anyway, or we don't believe all that stuff. So they didn't want more trouble. If you're trying to stay comfortable, you'll never find the right king. So if your goal in life is safety, security, comfort, you'll never honestly seek an answer that's outside of what's already comfortable to you, which means you're not really seeking, right? You already... You've already boxed in what your answer is going to be. So it's as you read how the city of Jerusalem in particular and all of the leaders of that place responded to Jesus as he grew up and then started his public ministry, you realize that a lot of them, that was actually the issue all along. They didn't want to mess with Rome. They didn't want to mess with their own, the, the political power structure that was, that was there. They just wanted to leave things alone so they could carry on with their lives. And so all of this talk of a Messiah for them, was deeply disturbing. Okay, there's another character set in the story. comes in the next verse, verse 4. So Herod is really disturbed. What does he do? He calls the leaders together and the teachers of the religious law, and he asks, well, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Now, again, I, I point out, I think there's a great irony here that the teachers of religious law would have been people that at least by our perspective, they have the Old Testament almost memorized. They know the ins and outs of all these prophecies. And so for them to miss the fact that the Messiah was there, and it took wise men from another culture to caravan over and go, hey, we think something's happening, that shows you they just weren't paying attention. This was not on their radar at all. Okay, so Herod says, hey, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? They say, well, in Bethlehem and Judea, this is what the prophet wrote. And then they, they quote a prophecy. And you have to read between the lines a little bit, because this is, you know, all we have of this wise men's story is what we just read. Okay, so anything else that we add to it is conjecture or maybe cultural nuance. 
but when I think about the response, there's no report that the scribes or the teachers of law are excited about this, right? This is just kind of like the king asks us the question, we'll give him the answer. Yeah, it's in Bethlehem. Like, they're not even, they're not even that curious about any of this, okay? Which leads me to think that they're not, they're not seeking either. Now, we know that we can fill in some of the blanks because later in the story, again, years later after Jesus grows up and starts interacting with the same group of people as an adult, we find out they really weren't seeking in an honest sense. Okay, so the lesson from the scribes or the teachers of the law, if you confuse knowing about God for finding God personally, you won't find the right king. And this is especially heartbreaking because these people are so close to the truth, right? They actually could quote you the true thing. They know the right answers, but they haven't internalized it. So for them, it's all some sort of academic game. It's all passing a test somewhere. It's not actually part of their life, part of their heart. And so when we set out on a a journey to find the truth about God, to find the true Messiah, it's not just a journey of, can I learn the right answers to the questions? You, You need the right answers to the questions or you won't find the truth. But if you think that that's it, you'll miss the, the bigger story. Because the, the issue isn't, do you know about God? The issue is, do you know God? Okay. So Jesus brought this up to the same group later on. Uh, in John chapter 5, he was speaking to the teachers of the law, and he said, you've never heard his voice, speaking of God's voice, you've never heard his voice or seen him face to face. You do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe me, the one he sent to you. You search the Scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the Scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Okay, so in our journey, we don't want to get caught up in that and say, hey, we've got all the right answers in front of us, but we're not willing to actually recognize the truth is not just a set of propositions. It's actually personal. Uh, The truth is getting to know God Himself. So in our goal of finding the right king, we would say, if I'm going to seek God, what does it look like? I think it's got these three components to it. It requires laying aside our own claims of authority. So if we're going to seek the right king, it means we're recognizing we're not the king. Um, It means laying aside our own comforts and norms, because we've got to learn something new, something that might be uncomfortable or pull us away from what we're used to. Uh, And we also have to set aside our impulse to say, hey, I already know the answer. Because I think about those scribes and those teachers of the law and think, wow, they, they literally did know the answer and they still weren't actually believers in their heart. They were so confident in their knowledge that they missed the opportunity to know that something amazing had happened right there. When you look at where Bethlehem is and where, where Jerusalem is on a map, and even if you factor in Nazareth and some travel, the, the, it's literally the Messiah is right next to them and they just don't see him at all. So... For us, seeking God requires a journey of open-hearted discovery. This is where it really becomes fun to read the Bible when you have this attitude about it. That you're not coming in saying, I've got to prove what I already know. And you're not coming in looking to somehow justify something about your own life or your behavior, your thinking. You say, no, all that set aside, I actually want to know the truth and I want to know Jesus personally. I want to know whatever it is that's true about God, I want to know that. And when you open up the Bible and you start walking through life with that heart, with an open-hearted readiness to explore, wow, things come alive. 
Um, and you, you, you may come across challenges. It might not all be easy, uh, but it's definitely a worthy adventure. All right? So this month here, as we're heading toward Christmas, our challenge is to be like the wise men who are still seeking him. Say, well, how do we do that? Now, I did want to, I did want to address one question that comes up whenever we talk about sort of proving that who, you know, who Jesus is or whether the Bible's true or not or even whether God exists or not. A fair question to ask, and one that in my own life I've asked many times over the years in different ways, is something like this. Why doesn't God give more evidence? Right? Wouldn't, it, wouldn't you think it would be easier like if God would just, I don't know, put a star in the sky or write it in prophecies or make it really obvious that something's happening? But let me ask you, when he has done that, have the people believed? Not necessarily. Okay, I think about in the story we just read, there's prophecies that everybody knew about. They weren't hidden prophecies. There was a sign in the sky. So if you missed the prophecy memo, but you just look up, something's there, right? I don't exactly know what the star looked like or how it was formed or whatever, but something was there that guided the wise men. They got to the right place. So you say, okay, there was a sign in the sky that God put there to say the Messiah is here. And that didn't help. And then just to add a little more push, a caravan of outsiders walks into town with all these riches and pageantry and whatever and say, we're here to meet the king that was just born nearby. And with all that evidence, notice they really weren't even that curious. Because the issue was not one of evidence, the issue was one of their heart attitudes. They weren't seeking, so they were never going to find. And, and I think that that's part of what's going on when, when someone demands more evidence they might throw that out there as a challenge to God. Hey, prove yourself. But the point is, are, do they actually want to have an answer to that question? The people who do know God, the people who have been walking by faith, they see evidence for God everywhere. You read the Bible and you say, wow, this is coming alive to me. I feel the Holy Spirit at work in my life. You look out at creation and you say, wow, look at all that God has done. It's not an issue of lack of evidence. It's an, it's, it's an issue of lack of seeking, lack of curiosity of heart. Okay? So, if we start with open-hearted discovery, sure, there will still be questions where we'll look up at God and say, God, could you just like, give me some sort of shortcut so I could just know the answer a little faster here? But you're coming at it with honesty in your heart, not with resistance. Okay? So, I, I wanted to give you a pathway that maybe you could use here in the month of December, just as far as seeking God the way the wise men did, a way to think of this, uh, a way to approach it. I just want to give you three things. First of all, if you really want to seek God, you could ask around. This is what an honest seeker would do. You would look at people who do believe in God or people who have found Jesus or they claim to have found Jesus. They do believe the Bible and you say, you know what, I want to sit down with you and I want to talk to you. Now, something that is sad but you know, frequently repeated would be that someone brings up a spiritual conversation or somebody wants to talk about faith and somebody's like, no. We're cutting that one off. We don't talk about that. I don't want to hear about it. And now, I, I don't think most people are actually that hard-hearted. So I think we tend to think everybody feels that way. Well, that'll give people a little bit more credit for being curious, but you'll, you will run into resistance, right? You'll run into people that will kind of, meta, you know, metaphor maybe literally, slam the door in your face. I don't want to talk about it. Say, well, that, that person is not curious. Uh, that person is callous. 
something about how they have encountered faith before has made them say, that's just something I don't want to hear about. So if that's you, like it breaks my heart to say, you would never be able to learn anything else than what you've already learned. Because if you shut the door, if you won't converse about it, if you're not curious, that's the end of your seeking, right? There is no journey. So if you have a curious attitude toward the things of God, ask around, ask some people, uh, and you'll start, to, you'll start to learn. You'll start to say, even if you talk to people that don't agree with you, that's okay, you'll still learn as you do that. Okay, here's the next thing you could do. Explore the truth about him. So we, we have the Bible in front of us, kind of equivalent to the Old, the, the old Testament prophecies those wise men had access to. Say, okay, I, I want to choose to be a student of these things rather than a cynic about them. So what do cynics do? They would kind of sit back, uh, Monday morning quarterback things a little bit. They would have strong opinions. They really wouldn't interact with the truth in a curious way. Uh, They certainly wouldn't lean forward and say, tell me more, let me study. They would just be looking for the hole in the logic, or they would be, you know, mocking the messenger or whatever, but they're not interested in actually diving in and learning something. So if you want to honestly seek, you have to dive in and learn. So lean toward it. Say, okay, there's going to be things I don't understand. If you open up the Bible for the first time, and maybe some of you are just about to do this, and it's, it's an interesting journey. You start reading And depending on where you start reading and how quickly you read, you're going to have some things where you go, wow, I'm really glad I read that. Like, that really inspires me or that explains something and that really helps. And then you're going to come upon some chapter or story and you're going to scratch your head and go, I don't even know what's going on. Like, that sounds crazy. What is going on? And if if you would immediately say, you know what, I've got no time for that, and you step back, your learning will stop. But if you keep thinking of yourself like a student, when you encounter something you don't have an answer to, you ask another question. When you, you, you think about it, you sleep on it, you go talk to people about it, you're always seeking to learn. That's how you start to grow. And here's the third one. Uh, start moving toward him, toward Jesus. So pivot your mentality from doubt to discovery. You look at the same set of facts out there, and one person from far away says, well, I doubt that's true. Another person says... I want to walk over there and discover what I can discover. So this is a different mentality, same information. So you look at the, the, the scribes of Jerusalem and the wise men from the east had the same prophecies in front of them. But when the, pro, the, the wise men were thinking there's something to discover here, there's something we want to find, the scribes were saying, eh, we already think we know the answer and that's not the road we want to go down. I doubt that's true. I doubt that's worth exploring. So as we seek God, so much of this is actually about our heart attitude in seeking. So I wanted to give you a challenge, a very practical challenge. So what day on the calendar is it today? Sunday, but what's the date? It's the 10th. So there's 21 days left in 2023, if you count today, right? So here's the challenge. Finding the right king challenge is we look at the Gospel of John, which has 21 chapters, and I want to invite you to say, I will read one chapter of John every day starting today, between now and the end of this year. Okay? Then the commitment's over if you accept the challenge. Now, John was written, there there are four stories in the Bible, four recountings of Jesus' life. We call those the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They were all written with, you know, the same person in mind, obviously, but 
from a different vantage point and with some different purposes as far as why they were written. John actually says he wrote his book so that people would believe that Jesus actually is the Christ, the Son of God. So when you read John, you're reading one of the disciples actually making a defense for why should you believe in Jesus. So if you're an honest seeker, you'd say, that sounds like a great book to read, right? Because here's somebody actually knew Jesus laying out the case for why to believe in him. So yes, I want to read that. So here's what that challenge could look like. First of all, logistically, like practically, you could take a church Bible if you'd like one. Okay, the Bibles that are up under your seat, those are, that's an easy-to-read translation. So take it and use that or use your own. Uh, you can also download the Uversion app if you want to look at it digitally or if you say, I'd rather not read, but I'm willing to listen to it. You can click the little audio button in that app and you can have it read to you. Um, there are 21 days left, so say every day I'll just read one chapter of John. And here, here's how you would seek the truth as you read those chapters. Because you'll read a chapter, and you know, there'll be maybe multiple stories and a few different teachings in a chapter. Here's what you can ask from an honest heart with no, no real preconceived agenda, just to, just to ask the questions, okay? First one, what does this chapter say about Jesus? So you'd read it, John 1, read the whole thing, okay, well, what does this chapter say? Like, just in summary, what does it say about Jesus? What do I learn about him here? Um, how does this help shape or clarify my own view of Jesus? So all of us walk into this story with some understanding to begin with of who we think Jesus is or how we think he would have acted or what we think he said. They say, is there anything about what I just read that I need to think about, like that might modify my view? And then the last question, what is God asking me to do with the information I'm seeing? So you're reading the stories of Jesus, prophecies about who he was and what he did. You're also reading accounts of literally what he did while he was here on earth and then what he taught and how he answered people's objections to him. So you read all that and you say, okay, what does God want me to do with the information I'm seeing? These questions, if you're an atheist, you could ask these questions. If you're a veteran Christian and you've believed for a long time, you could still ask these questions. There'd be all sorts of things to discover. Okay, if it's your first time ever reading it, it might be a journey of like first-time discovery where you actually don't know that much about Jesus, and this, this starts that. Maybe you've read these things, and you've been, been to church for many years, and you say, this, for me, this would be just refreshing my knowledge or deepening my knowledge of Jesus. That's great, too. But I would encourage you, as one who would say, if, if you would say, along with us, I want to be a seeker of Jesus. I don't want to just let the Christmas season go by you go, yeah, yeah, Jesus is the reason for the season, and not actually understand why that's the case. This is a path that you could take to learn more about him. Okay? So, I'd like to pray for you, and pray for all of us, really, as we get ready to, I, I know for, at least in my household, the, the Christmas busy season kind of, it's kind of already started, but it's coming even more so. The the, the stuff at home and then the parties and the responsibilities and the people you're supposed to call and be nice to and all that stuff's coming, right? So before we get all wrapped up in that, let's start with what this whole thing is actually about. Say, if it really is about Jesus and I want to be a seeker of Jesus, how will I seek him? And if you don't have a better plan, then I would encourage you to jump on with the plan I'm offering here. Say, every day between now and the end of the year, let's read through the Gospel of John one chapter at a time, and just ask some honest questions and see what God reveals to us as we seek, okay? So let's pray. 
Uh, Lord, thank you for offering us a road, a path, um, an answer. And I know, Lord, as one who has received that answer by faith and one who's walked this road for a number of years, I know there's so much joy and purpose to discover on the other side of a faith step toward Jesus. Uh, Lord, I pray for my friends who are in the room who might have never taken that step, that you would give them the faith and the heart to seek, the curiosity. You just plant that in them, um, Lord, that they would start seeking and then that they would find. And I am thankful, Lord, for the example that you have left us in the Scriptures here of these wise men that did sacrificially and um, surprisingly go a long distance just to find the king. So, Lord, here we are on a journey that looks a lot different than theirs, but the same heart questions and the same desire to meet you in a personal way. So help us to walk forward with honest hearts, open to discovery, uh, ready to learn. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you. Hope to see you next week. And then on for all of our festivities this Christmas season. Have a great day.